Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and man, are things moving fast in fields across the cotton belt. We're going to talk some specific USDA numbers in just a few minutes, but between planting wrapping up, early season weed insect treatments, PGR applications, and unfortunately some replants, there's certainly not a dull moment in cotton production right now. I'm joined again today by my own cotton companion and colleague, Beck Barnes. And Beck, you know, we didn't even mention rain in West Texas. Yeah, yeah, we sure didn't. Yeah, there's so much going on. But, you know, it's funny. I uh, I was chuckling thinking about it earlier. Most people get their weather. We know um, very uh, intimately we follow farmers' media intake patterns. And we know that there's two things that our readers are interested in. Number one is the cotton market and pricing. Number two is the weather. Y'all check the weather every day. I never do the weather channel. I don't have the weather app. I use Ag Twitter as my weather indicator. And so, yeah, to I guess it was around May 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there when all that rain came through on the high plains and a little bit onto the cap rock. And yeah, I got that from, you know, follow my buddy Tom Gregory's tweeting his rain gauge picture and Steve Verrett's tweeting about, you know, tweeting a picture of the cloud in the distance. Uh, anyhow, so yeah, Ag Twitter's my uh, weather channel, basically. But uh, yeah, I saw that big rain come through. I know it was a welcome sight for all of our guys out there on the high plains. I was happy for y'all and uh, maybe get get some moisture in the ground, get this crop up. Yeah, well, you know, over the last couple of episodes, we've talked, you know, spent some time talking about new technologies, you know, Farm Bill. Uh, we did a production update live from a turn row. Uh, and we've talked about a big milestone anniversary for one of the industry's longtime companies. But during that time, as you've mentioned and alluded to weather and markets, uh, the market has continued to grow. But there's a certain dash of volatility and, and a pinch of other influences that are kind of making market watching a, a real adventure, particularly as we approach the end of the 2021-22 marketing year. So in that light, Joining us again to help make sense of this current market environment is our good friend, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University. And as usual, he has his opinions, and he's certainly not afraid to share them. So be sure to stay tuned for what's always a lively and informative discussion. Before we get to that, let's take a look at a couple of little, uh, little news items. I mentioned the uh, USDA numbers and the USDA crop progress numbers for the week ending June 5th is showing that 84% of the U.S. cotton crop is now in the ground. That's up 16 percentage points in the past week and eight percentage points ahead of the five-year average for this week. In all, 13 cotton producing states are currently ahead of their respective five-year averages for planting, with 10 states showing planting rates already above 90%. Uh, we're starting to get first reports of squaring. Uh, that's now reported in 11% of the U.S. crop. That's up four percentage points in the past week and just barely ahead of the five-year average for the week. And cotton condition has improved slightly over the past week with 48% of the crop rated good to excellent, 37% rated fair, and 15% rated poor to very poor. So we're off to a pretty good start the season. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. It seems like it's been a pretty, uh, U.S. cotton belt is so wide and varied in terms of the conditions that people experience, but on the whole, yeah, it feels like it's been a pretty good planting year to this point. Uh, so that's good. Happy for our growers. You know, Jim, another, another development for our growers, 
has been uh, the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, and uh, it's continued making uh, some positive moves as it uh, seeks to enlist U.S. cotton growers. Uh, in the past several weeks, we've seen we saw a report that said grower participation for the 21/22 crop has doubled since the program's pilot began last year. So that's uh, that's amazing work from the folks at the National Cotton Council. Uh, right on the heels of that announcement came word that the trust protocol is implementing a new streamlined three-year grower enrollment uh, program from the 2022 through 2024 crops. And that's designed to allow grower members, uh, member cotton rather, to enter that supply chain uh, more quickly, more easily, and more efficiently. So uh, the new process, uh, this new enrollment process is gonna allow participating growers production to be more easily identified and uploaded, uh, uploaded rather into the protocol platform. And it's paving the way for a potential uh, redistribution of program revenue. Uh, to assist uh, themselves, growers can authorize their crop consultants to enter information on their behalf. So we can utilize our uh, helpers out there in the consultant community, as well as uh, relying on the new John Deere Operations Center to pre-populate up to 40% of the data uh, that's needed to complete the field print analysis. So, um, uh, you know, they're really kind of making it, putting it on a platter for guys uh, to try to get involved. I know that we've heard that the uh, signing up for this cotton trust protocol program is a, can be a, a heavier lift, uh, but it seems like the folks at the protocol, the folks at the council are doing everything they can to make it easier for you to, uh, to get started. Now, as before, all data entered into the program is secure it remains confidential and it is only used in an aggregate form for those of you worried about your, or not worried, but uh, you know, uh, considering your privacy. Uh, for answers to questions, visit the website trustuscotton.org or contact the grower help desk at growers at trustuscotton.org. And now we're gonna open the Cotton Companion Virtual Studio and welcome back Dr. O.A. Cleveland Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University, a frequent contributor to this podcast and also to other industry reports. OA, welcome back. Uh, this seems like a, a pretty good time to try to get a handle on this market as the old crop and the new crop are kind of converging right now. Uh, it is a great time to do that. And thank you for inviting me back. And I can't wait for you to tell me how they are going to converge and come together. I want to know that. <laughs> You're, you're asking the wrong guys. Yeah. <laughs> so are you. <laughs> we just lost our audience right there. <laughs> but seriously, the tipping point for me, and I think you and I kind of sent some, some texts back and forth to each other about this. The tipping point for me last week was the announcement that International Cotton Advisory Committee was temporarily suspending their price projections due to high volatility and extenuating circumstances in the global markets. So basically they're saying it's difficult for any model to produce accurate and useful information right now. How did we get to this point? Well, that is a very interesting question and uh, I can only speculate, but the market as ICAC indicated and if we've talked about for some time is highly volatile and we have a situation that I don't recall ever encountering, maybe we have, but I don't remember it. Whereas mills uh, 
in large volumes have tended to wait until fixing the price of their cotton on their own call sales until literally the very end of the marketing year. Uh, we see this every year, but we don't see it in the volume that they have so many millions of bales that you go down to the last two months, last three months, last two weeks that have to be fixed. And when you fix that sale that a, uh, the mill has bought cotton and the merchant fixes that sale on behalf of the mill, that means the mill has to buy cotton futures. And we have had a ratio of buying versus selling of anywhere from 12 to one down to last week, it was 10 to one. And 10 to one is still bullish. It still says prices should go higher, i.e. meaning that mills still have much more cotton to buy than people have to sell or than, or than growers have to sell. So the buying pressure just takes prices higher. But we also have the options ring, which takes care of some of this. And also, and, and that's, that's a silent uh, partner. We don't see that activity, whereas we can see the futures market activity. And uh, additionally, it appears, and this is only to say it appears, can't be documented, that merchants have allowed mills to delay their pricing past the July point, which uh, always historically has been sacrament that uh, sacrosanct that you had to fix your price before first notice day on of the July futures, which this year is June the 24th, just uh, about 10 more to trading days, 11 more, 10 more. Uh, so we're going just going down right to the end. And one day textile mills come in and fix price the next and the prices run up in the next two days, they don't fix prices. And there's absolutely no market in, in, in for, 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 for cotton and prices just fall out the bottom. So it's made it highly volatile. And uh, we talked about the new crop being down around a dollar and 20 cents a pound versus this old crop around a dollar 35, a dollar 40, maybe a dollar 30. So it tends to start to tell us that July has to come lower and lower. And we just have to find that bridge to get there, but it's pretty dadgum late to start building that bridge to, to get from a dollar 35, a dollar 40 down to a dollar 20. But we're beginning to see those bricks laid one by one in building that bridge. And it appears that July will come down further. Now that's not to say that July may not be up a nickel today or nickel one day next week, uh, some a limit move, but in the next two to three days, it'll probably be down as much as seven, eight, nine cents. Uh, so historically the, the, the July contract and the December contract will come somewhat together, almost together. Uh, and we're in the process of seeing that it's taken literally just two weeks before first notice day before we're seeing much of it, but it's beginning to peak its little uh, bill out and suggest to us that that's occurring, but it's still highly volatile. Well, I think that's, you know, and that, that, that's one thing that we've been looking at, or I've been, I've been kind of tracking a little bit over the last couple of weeks, you know, as, as we were starting at the mill level, particularly, we were starting to see uh, some slowdown in cotton demand, I think, because of price and, uh, and you know, basically saying it's too expensive and, and coming back then to something we've always kind of set in the back of our minds is, 
you know, we're going to work. They can't pass that cost on all that cost on down. And they're starting to shift over to some of the man-made fibers and looking at more blends and things like that. And then we saw some mills in India that just basically shut down, uh, you know, for a week or two uh, to protest high cotton prices. So as we're moving into this July number and taking it back down to $1.20, is that going to make the price more reasonable, more attractive to, uh, to mills and kind of start pushing the, uh, the other fibers out the door a little bit more? It will tend to, what we have noticed is, is that once prices slip below $1.40 down into the $1.38 area, we see mills begin to look for cotton, trying to book cotton, trying to buy cotton. Uh, cotton that's been bought on December, or, or excuse me, cotton that's been bought for the 2022-23 marketing year is beginning to to show, show, show some volume. So the mills are telling us there that at fifteen, $1.18, $1.20, $1.22, they do feel like that their margin, their profit margin, as we call it, their mill margin, uh, between cotton prices and yarn prices, that they, the mills feel that they can make money. And we are seeing, once we see, in coming back to old crop here, once we see this market get down into the high 130s and suggest that we may move into the low 130s, we have in fact seen textile mills come in trying to buy old crop. Now it's still gonna be difficult to get anything shipped over there on time, but we're starting to see very large volumes of shipping on a week by week basis. So uh, it, it tells us that those mills, that that margin is okay for mills if we can get cotton back down into the 130s and preferably down into the low 130s. We have to understand that textile mills don't care in a sense what the price of cotton is. They don't care if it's a dollar and a half, a dollar and 10 cents, or if it's 70 cents. They what they care about is what they can sell their yarn for and the difference in the yarn price and the cotton price, that's their concern. And that's where the mill margin comes in. And when we were $1.40, $1.45 and making the, the highs in, in July, mills were telling us uh, in, 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 in total that they just were going to stop using cotton. They couldn't do it, that they couldn't sell the yarn. And they began to build a little yarn inventory with as small as it is with cotton prices you know we've seen july now in the 130s with july coming back there the mills are telling us that they have been able to move their inventory of yarn they're not building inventory again telling us that they can operate uh with the new crop in the 120s 115 area yeah that's interesting stuff uh oh uh, uh i never not ever thought about the margins that the mills have with you know the, their yarn margins so that's neat to think about so uh, anyhow, switching subjects a little bit, uh, we should note today it's June 8th as we're talking to you. And uh, I was telling Jim earlier, I, I get my uh, weather uh, reports across the cotton belt from Twitter these days. Uh, and I saw my, my buddy Tom Gregory out in Petersburg, Texas, tweeted on May 24th. He and that's on the high plains. He texted a text or tweeted a picture of his rain gauge. He had an inch and a half on May 24th. So, uh, you know, my question to you is, does that rain that they, they, they got a good rain out there was my long winded way of saying, 
they got a good rain out there on the high plains on May 24th. Uh, did that rain enough, do enough to make a big difference uh, or is the drought, you know, kind of truly baked in for this season, do you think? And will we get indications of that from USDA's June supply demand report? Uh, Beck, that's a great question because it has been so dry. It has, quote, unquote, been record dry out there. And we talked about these heavy rains that might come in late May that in fact did, as you mentioned, that they would do some good, but in many cases they wouldn't do much good and they had to be followed by more and more weather. And we're going into the dry season. So uh, once we got to Memorial Day, uh, we did see that good rain out there and bless their heart, we have had very good moisture across much of the cotton belt after May the 24th and into the weekend and the first part of this week. So they have gotten, they have received great moisture. Still, the underground uh, supply moisture system is still uh, very, very, very negative. So they'll continue to need more rain. And there is some area that, some dry land area that's not received rain. Initially, with the good rains that you talked about that, uh, you know, that you picked up on Twitter, that did not cover the dry land area. These other rains have covered the, the very important dry land area and they're picking that up. Now, growers are twixt in between because will they have enough subsoil moisture? Will the crop get zeroed out and they can do something else? Or are they gonna to have to carry this crop with some little very limited subsoil moisture? That's why if they have to carry the crop, it's going to be extremely important to continue to get these good rains in going into the dry season. So we're a whole lot better than we were. It was the million dollar rain. Uh, it, uh, we say, and, and I, I get caught up in it many, many times. We go right down to the last minute in West Texas before we get rain. That The idea is you have to have a Memorial Day rain or you have to have a June the first weekend rain to make a crop and lo and behold, it came this year against all odds uh, as it seems to come every year. Yeah, yeah, well, you kind of, you you answered my next question for you. I was gonna ask you what you're hearing around the belt, but uh, you mentioned, you know, they, we have seen a lot of rain in South Georgia across the Carolinas to the extent that some of them are uh, a little behind on planting, but we think they'll be able to catch up. I, I kind of want to throw you a curveball. You know, I it's one thing to, uh, when we talk about rain to get a, for those West Texas guys to get a crop in, um, another topic altogether is will the markets recognize, you know, these events that happen that impact ultimately production in the U.S. I'm, I hear in my head all the time conversation I have with my buddy Bill Kennedy in Inverness, Mississippi back in 2009, and we weren't planting hardly any kind. We had a like 9 million acre crop back in 09 or something like very small crop, and yet prices didn't didn't move an inch based on what the American growers were doing. He said, we discovering that the market doesn't care what happens to us. Do you generally, I mean, has that been the case? I mean, with, with that rain happening out in West Texas, I mean, do you think the market will respond to that or will we just have to wait on that June USDA supply demand to, to see? Well, I would suggest to you that since the, since, since about May the 23rd, I don't have the numbers in front of me or what, but, uh, you know, we touched a dollar thirty-two, I believe, uh, in December, and now we're down to about a dollar and eighteen cents, a dollar and twenty cents. 
So the market has responded to those West Texas rains. Yeah. We're down, we're down a nickel to 12 cents. Now there's some other factors that brought that down, but most of that, as far as these, the December futures is concerned is in fact, the market was responding to that rain. The world carryover and US carryover is subsequently low enough that a nickel or a dime, let's say a dime out of December with, with good rains, and that's what the, those good rains took out of December. We're just down a dime, and we're still at a dollar eighteen and a dollar twenty cents, which is which is a very handsome price. Uh, and this, and your question may have related more to the fact that uh, when Bill, when 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 Inverness, Mississippi, or the Delta of Mississippi, and Arkansas and Tennessee, and you move on into Georgia, when the, when when it's very dry there, and they get rains, does the market respond? market responds somewhat. It's going to watch that 45% of the crop out in West Texas, Texas, Oklahoma, more than it's going to watch the Southeast and the Mid-South. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Now, OA, I wanna, wanna shift gears again a little bit because we've, we've talked acres before. We seem, to, we seem to be fixated on acres for the first quarter of the year. Um, and we all signed, kind of settled on USDA's projected number of 12.2 million acres, it sort of felt like a really good number. Uh, the planted acres report is due here June 30th. Uh, where's that acreage number gonna end up? We're gonna hold you to this. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I think it's, oh, wow, that's, you know, I get, I get different comments every week from people. I think it's going to be a little bit short of 12.2, uh, but I, it, it's going, it'll be at least 12 million acres. Uh, uh, I, and again, I have some people telling me that it'll be more, but the seed companies I've talked with seem to be pleased. They're not just ecstatic and excited about seed sales, but they appear to be very pleased. Now, some of those seed sales are on books as sales, but they don't, those sales may come back, or the seed may come back, so to speak. Uh, but I still think we're going to scare the death out of 12 million. And, 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 and I, I really don't have any reason to go against the USDA number at this time. Okay. That's your first prediction. We're going to hold you to, um, <laughs> your second, well, not, not much of a prediction, but I just ask you what, uh, just generally as we kind of round in third and bringing you home here, uh, what marketing advice do you have for our guys, our grower listeners, as that July contract and the new December contract approach. I know you touched a little bit on that earlier, but uh, just generally bullet point, what would you tell them? Well, first, let me just uh, make a disclaimer or my, probably make a claimer. Uh, I, I got very overly excited when December back uh, in, uh, in November and, and October, October of 2021 and into January, February of 2021 when when cotton was, was above 95 cents or was it 90 cents? And uh, I think I suggested to growers back then, or not I think, I know I did. I suggested to growers that they may get as much as 50% price uh, at that 90, 95 cent level. And I, I, I don't feel bad about that. I mean, I wish I'd been more correct, I will say that, but uh, when you're thinking in terms of hedging, when you're thinking in terms of risk management, you fix a price that you think is good or is very profitable. And in a sense, you hope you're wrong, 
because you don't fix but a third of it or a quarter of it or even a half of it. And if you're wrong, the other half, the other three quarters goes higher and higher. But yet you've fixed enough that you know that you can cover essentially a good bit of your cost of production. So, and, and at 90 cents, you could do that. And now, particularly your question, what do you do now? I would have to say that growers that I have, uh, that, that act literally took my advice, I would sit still, not do anything. I'm very comfortable. That is another way to say that where I sit and look at December today, at, and I don't know exactly, I'll say $1.18 or $1.20. I'm very comfortable that December, while it can come down, I can see it coming down to about a dollar and a dime. Uh, I think it has just a tremendous support at a dollar and fifteen cents and a dollar and sixteen cents. Good price support there, but uh, I I would not get overly excited if I have in fact priced a good bit of cotton. If I hadn't priced anything, uh, again, it's a situation where you 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 hedge it, i.e., you price it, you sell some, you hedge it, and you hope you're wrong. You hope you. You sell 25% or 50% at today's a dollar and 20 cents. And gosh, you hope it goes to a dollar and 80 cents because you've got another half of your crop that you're going to uh, make money on. And plus you, you've made good money on this first half or first 25%, whatever numbers you use. So I, it's time definitely to do some pricing. In my opinion, we could get good range. You know, I'm not, uh, prepared to say yes we're in a climate change but we're certainly seeing some, some cycles in our climate history and 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 we may be in a change but uh, these weather weather patterns not only here in the united states but around the globe are it, it, it changing considerably from what i have grown up with and what i've seen over time so it, the market's offering us an excellent profit in spite of these fertilizer prices in spite of the labor problem uh, it, it, you know, the market says it's hungry. It's time to be fed. It, you need to sell a little cotton. Uh, today's price, I, I, if I hadn't sold anything, I've got to go out the door today and sell at least 25%, at least 25%. Sounds, sounds good. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that sound we're all hearing right now is, is our audience rushing to, uh, to get to a cell phone. To uh, you know, to make, right. make some, to make some calls and, and do what they need to do. So I guess it's a pretty good place to to end our discussion today. Uh, Oa, thanks again for taking time to join us uh, for a look in your uh, in your prognosticator's crystal ball. We always appreciate that. Sounds like we got uh, plenty to watch and and maybe a little bit more to catch up on this summer. Well, thank y'all. Be very safe. Take care, and look forward to talking to y'all again. Sounds good. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, Oa. So that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. As always, a special thanks to our friend, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, for joining in. And as always, we want to thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread, spread the word. Tell your farming friends and neighbors about the podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. 
You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. His name's Beck Barnes. And we'll be back with you in two weeks, the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made it for him. Yeah, he works and he works.